Hello and welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us. It's David and Brent here on Friday, August the 13th. So happy Friday the 13th as we're recording this. Brent, you've already had some Friday the 13th computer issues. I guess your bad luck is out of the way. Avoid any black cats for the rest of the day and we should be in good shape. But Friday the 13th, also we had a WASDI report on Thursday the 12th. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Let's jump into the WASDI. So Brent, on the Forecast Network, I'm proud to share that on the corn... I'm not proud to share, but I will share. Uh, On the corn yield, we asked about the probability of the USDA coming in with a corn yield above 177 bushels per acre. The consensus was around 24% chance of happening. Brent always tells me we could learn a lot by the consensus, especially if our own personal forecasts are way off from the consensus. I was way out there in 71% land. I had the highest forecast going of all the users, which means I got the lowest score. I got a zero percentile rank. So if you're listening to this and you participated in the forecast network question, you did a lot better than I did. I was way out on a limb here, but it came in at 174.6. It's also worth noting it was well above, excuse me, this summer was below the the range of private trade estimates. So this was a number that kind of caught everybody by surprise. I didn't see it when it came out. In fact, I was driving back to town and talking to David and he asked if I had saw that number. And Oh, uh, when he told me, I was really surprised. You know, I've been working with my kids a little bit, trying to help them think about, you know, estimating outcomes, put a confidence band around it. You know, what what's your number that you think you'd be really surprised if it were less than this? And what's your number that you'd be really surprised if it were above this? 174 may not have been outside my bottom range of that number, but it was really close. So I was quite surprised as well. We need to think about those ranges and how likely different outcomes can be sometimes. I agree completely because I think sometimes it's a little humbling when we realize our confidence intervals are not as wide as we maybe need them to be. And so that happens a lot. And that's another example of this. But the implications are on stocks to use ratio continues to be tight. 8.5% is the August number. Of course, down from 9.6% in July, and we were up at 10.2% in May. So this situation has just kind of been a tightening trend throughout the year. And of course, 7.4% was where we were last year, where we finished the year. It was not the outcome we were looking at a year ago. So if you just want to roll the clock back a little bit a year ago, Brent, we were really thinking above trend yields. China wasn't buying. And December 2020 corn futures contract got down to 320 by the end of August 2020. And I know you and I were having a lot of conversations. I'm sure if you go back and play the tape, we were wondering, will corn get below $3 a bushel? In fact, we had an ag forecast that one question about will corn dip below $3 a bushel? And so one way of looking at this is, wow, things are a lot different or things aren't as tight as they were a year ago. Well, not quite apples to apples, right? We're expected to be a little more stocks in the next marketing year compared to the current marketing year. But a year ago, we had a very different outlook. Where we've changed is just so dramatic. Uh, this is a chart we had together last year, toward the end of the year, and we were kind of illustrating how far things had changed. So this is last year's day, you know, in May of 2020, the forecast, the USDA's forecast for the Indian stocks use ratio on corn was above 20%. And to tighten this up even more for you, Brent, this was a 12% is with this data point for the current market year. The ones we harvested last year, we're going to close out right now. 
it's now at seven and a half percent. These data were from January. So look where it even tightened up since January. It went from a slightly below average to among the lowest and tightest stocks at, to use ratios we've seen in the last 20 years. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's what I think is still a little bit hard to get your head around sometimes, or at least get my head around, is how much it's changed in that fast. And still really surprising to me. We'll have to go back and look at this and just go back through. I know we've done this. A lot of it was acres of production, I think, right? And the yield changes and whatnot. But how we got here, it's a different world. And if you're a corn producer, you know, I think should be pretty happy right now that kind of stocks to use ratio you know we're gonna have higher prices for a while i think that's fairly encouraging here's another chart that we wanted to pull in here if you're listening to this on the audio version we'll try to explain but of course you can see all these slides on the website Uh, this is a stocks to use situation for corn going back to the 1970s at this kind of 8% level that we're sitting at right now. I think, Brent, you said it's happened about nine times out of the last 40. We've had stocks below 10%. So this is an overall tight situation. In fact, I'm looking at this. We hit below 10% stocks use in the early 70s. We hit it again in, in the 90s or 96. So there's three times, but we've hit about six times in the last decade. So we've had a, a lot tighter situation play out in the last decade than we did in the previous three decades. Uh, kind of curious, we only hit fell below 10% once between of all of the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. Pretty interesting, actually, when you think about it, because, you know, corn, play like word association, you just think of how much yields have increased over that time period. We've been able to kind of keep up with that on the demand side. So it's it just, it's interesting to me that, you know, that, that there's this many of these tighter stocks to use ratios uh, in recent times. And again, you know, we're in the bottom 25%. There's 25% tightest stocks to use ratios, times when you get pretty good pricing. Building off the idea that Brent mentioned earlier about confidence intervals. Uh, We came in here at 174.6 is the current estimate. I want you to think about how much movement do you think we could see from here? Do you think we can see a couple bushels of movement in corn, maybe plus or minus five bushels, plus or minus 10 bushels. And this is something that we wrote about a year ago. We'll update the data and write another article. But every time Brent and I talk about this, we kind of convince ourselves it's around this plus or minus five bushel or maybe even tighter than that. And then we look at the data and we, we write it and we up, look at the data a lot and we're like, oh yeah, there's been a couple times in history since 2000 that we've seen 10 bushel movements higher or lower for corn. What this means is that the final yield number for the year either 10 bushels higher or lower than the August estimate uh, twice. And you see several five bushel movements in the August data. In fact, in September, there are still significant movements in the corn numbers. Now we've improved a lot. We've moved out of uh, the forecasts are more accurate than we saw in the trend analysis or just a simple May WASD number, but there's still a lot of movement that could happen here. And I think we have to keep that in mind as to what might happen in the next few months is we have to build in sort of a range of confidence that I guess five bushel movements are pretty common. If you want like a 90% confidence interval, you have to spread that out to plus or minus 10 bushel. When we, when we look at that, it's maybe a little surprising that, that you'd see those big errors. And, and the other thing that I think might surprise people a little bit is that the errors are, seem to be, to me, they look pretty much centered on zero. So in other words, 
they're not more negatives or more positives. So you can't just say, well, corn yields always get bigger from this point. You know, obviously not true. And they don't obviously just shrink from here either. Still a fair amount of uncertainty left in the corn in the August report and more than I would assume myself. Because I think of August on corn yield is, you know, we have a pretty darn good idea of what's out there in the field at this point. But comparing USDA's estimate to the final, uh, there's still room for some changes. Two to four bushel change is pretty common. So let's talk a little bit about soybeans, stocks use here. Staying in that 3.5% stocks to use ratio, I think USDA should get a gold sticker for their accuracy here. They've been holding at that 3.5% stocks to use since June. And in fact, they nailed the acreage estimate all the way back in March. There just hasn't been a lot of changes here, or a lot of excitement, but it's still an overall tight situation. They did shave eight tenths of a bushel off that yield estimate, bring it down to 50.0. Ending stocks on a bushel basis is 155 million bushels compared to 160 million bushels last year. But of course, the usage has changed a little bit. So the stocks to use is still at 3.5%. Yeah, so they trimmed the exports and usage just a little bit to make it all balance out right around that 3.5%, which I think they can project it a little bit tighter than that, but not a lot tighter than that. I think they'll just start raising the price and cutting demand back in order to to make it stay somewhere around. That's got to be close to the bottom, as tight as I'll let it get. Of course, with soybeans, always really important to remember. South America, South America, really important. The rest of the world, really important. Corn too, but even more so in soybeans. And uh, probably why we haven't seen soybean price even higher than it is given these stocks use numbers. The other thing I want to point out is I've been seeing some chatter about, you know, exports lagging. And so the exports are actually off in the projections on the balance sheet pretty significantly. So right now they're projecting 2.1 billion bushels if you round up. And last year's export activity was really 2.2 billion bushels. And so, and that's kind of generous with the rounding. So it's, it's a, no, I'm sorry. I got off my line. 2.3. So 2.1 versus 2.3. It's a 200 million bushel difference, which is about 10%. So the USDA already has built in this sort of slump in export activity. And this is partially this tight stock. It's partially the higher prices. Keep in mind when China went on his buying spree last spring, we had a very, or last fall, a year ago, a lot lower prices here in the United States. And so Part of this, these headlines about, oh, exports are slipping a little bit is, I guess, really not new news. It's not new information. It was already kind of baked into some of these estimates. So a 10% reduction in exports sounds like the sky is falling, but it's already kind of there. But also you can scroll back even further. We only had 1.7 billion bushels of exports during the trade war 2019. So it's down a lot from the peak of last year, but up quite a bit from the trough of the trade war. Yeah, and that time we had ending stocks. You know, those were the days we were talking about ending stocks, almost a billion bushels of soybeans at one point. We're a world different from that now. Above 20% stocks to use on a couple occasions, a couple yeah. years there, we were really flush with beans. What do we know about the range of soybean possible outcomes? I know no one's going to like this story, but I kind of suggest that August probably doesn't tell us a lot more information than we already knew about the range of possible outcomes for May or even a trend line analysis. There is still a lot of variation here. 
four plus bushel swings are pretty darn common. As Brent mentioned earlier, I remember looking at the data last year, they are sort of centered around zero. There isn't an inherent bias up or down here with these forecasts. We have to wait till September before we start narrowing it in. But even in September and October, two bushel movements between that month WASD estimate and the final is still possible. Keep in mind, we're sort of hyper-focused on, oh, they trimmed eight-tenths of a bushel out. Well, history would suggest there's still two or four bushel movements out there that are possible, I guess, within the range of historic observations. You've said it very well. So compared to corn, there's still about, about the same amount of air left as there was just going from the trend yield on soybeans. So the story is not yet written on soybeans. We don't know exactly how that story is going to end. And in history would say that it's got about an equal chance of uh, turning into a pumpkin or going home the prince. So we, d- we just don't know yet. The weather here in the next few weeks is going to be really critical for us. A couple stories I wanted to mention. Uh, I was telling Brent before we hopped on, I had the I guess, pleasure of doing the, the civic duty they tell you about in high school. I was on a jury. That was my first, I got called for jury duty my first time and I got picked. My strategies for getting kicked out were not successful, but I guess I, I learned a couple of things that came out for me. One of them was my memory of some of the evidence was not as clear as I would have thought. So not many times that you sit there and you listen to the facts and then you go back and you have some of the facts with you. And I thought I had a pretty good recollection of what was going on. And in fact, I don't think anybody, any of the juries actual completely remembered everything truthful. We had to reconstruct everything a little bit. And so some of the pieces got filled in a little bit more accurately than I initially thought they were. And that was just on me. And then the second piece that I learned is once the decision was made and it was signed and sealed and delivered, the rationalizing really kicked in really quickly among all of us. And there's not very many decisions where you sort of make the decision, commit yourself to it, and then sit in a room and wait for 10 or 15 minutes for everything to sort of wrap up. And it was just interesting to see how quickly attempts from the group to rationalize how long the deliberations went on and and the final decision. It was just kind of fascinating. So I think one of the takeaways for me is to always put in more air in what I think truth is or put in, build in more buffer, as we've talked about kind of a theme throughout here about yield estimates and the final number. Keep that in mind for what you think might be the fact that was presented to you, uh, but also keep in mind once you make a decision, how powerful that rationalizing effect can be and how you try to weave a narrative to make that conclusion that you reach seem inevitable and the undeniably the, the best, best outcome. Yeah. yeah. The best answer. So you were also the foreman of the jury too, which is, I've never, I, I was telling David before, I've never had the chance to do that. It's something I think it would be kind of interesting to do sometimes, but I of course want it to be kind of a non, uh, I guess I, if they're in court, it's always serious, but I wouldn't want to do a murder trial or something. But I think that is interesting. You said, you hear the facts, they seem obvious, and you go to the room and you start trying to put it back together and you realize that, whoa, wait a second, what what was actually said? Uh, I think it's good that you guys actually did that process and think it, if you had a one-day trial, can you imagine what it would be like if you had a week of that? Yeah, so we were done by 3 p.m. and there's only four experts. And somehow I had been confused about where in the where the evidence was. I thought the evidence was the key evidences were on total opposite ends of this, this room. And they're actually right next to each other. Uh, it was very interesting how, and when we reconstructed those images, uh, I wasn't the only one either. And other people kind of got confused on other parts of it. So yeah, the facts, 
the way I listened to that story kind of came together differently. So yeah, it was, it was sort of fascinating. You don't have very many experiences like that. A limited amount of information. They locked us in a room. They took away our cell phones. <laughs> it was a very, it wasn't a high state. Well, as Brent said, it's always high stakes, but it wasn't a multiple day trial. It wasn't tons and tons of expert testimony. So it seemed like a pretty small universe to be making this decision in, but it was definitely in a bit of a bubble and you don't have very many of those experiences. So I thought that was fascinating. I'm just glad to hear that you can make a decision without having a phone. <laughs> I, I didn't know that was even possible in today's society. Uh, when's the last time people actually make a decision without consulting their phone to some extent? And that's another good evidence, a piece of evidence that you don't know how accurate sometimes that is. So. <laughs> y- yes. I think that was something they were probably more concerned about in 2021 than they would have been 10 years ago, right? There were several rules that you could tell were written with the modern, you know, it even said like, you cannot go on social media. You can't do your own experiments. You can't go return to the scene of the crime. There was all sorts of things that they were telling you don't do, but a lot of those are based around, uh, around communication. Well, one last piece of information that's kind of exciting to share uh, last week, and we've been sharing it kind of informally, but Escaping 1980 last week was awarded the first place prize, the Ag Media Summit. And so that was a great, great news to hear. And first off, it was a team effort. And so I know Sarah Mock was, and Brent and I were a big part of the production of that and sort of the voices that you would have heard, but also there's the rest of the AEI team. In fact, it was probably our first big team project where every single one of our teammates touched that project in one shape or another, but also Thank you to the audience who have listened to it, who have shared it with your friends and colleagues and uh, made that to be the success it is. So thank you to everyone. Yeah, that's great. And well, well-deserved in my opinion, all the work that Sarah and David and everybody else put into it, I think it was uh, well done and uh, very proud of that project. It's neat, Brent, because the analytics keep increasing every week. There are still people finding it and listening to it. And it's been really fun to see that project continue to to move forward. So that's all we have for this week. Hope you all have enjoyed this and don't hesitate to reach out with questions or feedback or ideas for new topics for us to dive into. But in the meantime, stay curious. Thanks.